0: This is WIOA, and you're listening to What is Opera Anyway, the podcast. I'm Josh Lau. Hello. I'm Josh Lau, and I have a confession. I don't know a lot about opera. The only operas I know of are the ones I've worked on as a stage manager. This podcast is part of an educational program for the nonprofit organization aptly called What is Opera Anyway? Every other week, I'll be learning about anything and everything opera related, and you're welcome to listen and learn along with me. My hope is to learn more about opera and to get closer to answering that essential question, what is opera anyway? My guest is singer and teaching artist for WIOA, Melinda Wagstaff, who we heard earlier in the season fangirling over Puccini's heroines. But Melinda is a fan of another genre of opera. She's here to tell us about Czech operas, that is, operas from the area we now know as the Czech Republic. So let's listen to my conversation with Melinda so we can learn what Czech operas are anyway. Hi, Melinda. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I'm great. So today we're talking about Czech opera. And before we dive into the opera-ness of Czech, can you tell us, like, I I don't I've never been to Central Europe. So can you tell us anything you know about Czech or the Czech Republic? Um, I remember I had this map in front of me when I was a little kid. It was known as um, Czechoslovakia. So like, there's been a lot of name changes. Can you like, recap to us what what's what's going on over there?
1: Yeah, so the Czech Republic, or Czechia, as they like to also be called, that's another name for them. Czechia started as part of Central Eastern Europe when they were first settled by the Celts. Then the Germans came in. They were part of the Holy Roman Empire. Everybody has had their fingers in the pot of Czechia for a little bit. And then the country really started to differentiate itself in the 1800s, which is actually the same time period that Czech opera became popular. We'll get to that later, I'm sure. But the country then became part of the Soviet Union and was Czechoslovakia in 1918 or thereabouts. And then after that time period, when the Soviet Union collapsed and everybody went their separate ways the country that was Czechoslovakia split into the Czech Republic or Czechia and Slovakia as we know them today
0: yeah and i'm looking at a map here and you can you can see um the the Czech Republic or Czechia it's very landlocked it's like near no body of water so i i can imagine like throughout this this history of, of their country, that there's sort of been this struggle for, you know, the, these borders that we create and like different empires taking over, and then we'll just split it right down the middle. So, so if anybody's looking at a map, it'd be great to study up on your Czech history. But today we're talking about Czech opera. So what are some Czech operas Um, by titles that maybe we should know about, Melinda.
1: The most popularly performed in the United States Czech operas would be Rusalka, for sure. The Americanized pronunciation is just Rusalka. Um, (laughs) Or Rusalka, but the stress really should be on that first syllable, Rusalka. And The Bartered Bride, Rusalka is by um, Dvorak, And The Bartered Bride is by Smetana. Those are the most widely performed here in the United States. Some others you might see are The Cunning Little Vixen by Janáček and um, Julieta by Martínu.
0: And do do you speak Czech? Do you what's your background in Czech opera?
1: Unfortunately, I do not yet speak Czech, but it is definitely on my bucket list. My Czech experience started in 2019 when I went to Czechia and participated in the Prague Summer Nights Festival. For that program, we spent two weeks in the city Tabor. We prepped scenes from Czech operas. I sang a scene from Dvorak's Jakobin. It was amazing. And I immediately fell in love with all of the Czech culture, the people there, the food, the music. It was really great. And while we were there, we got to study with Dr. Timothy Cheek, who wrote the book Singing in Czech, which is a great diction resource for any of you singers who are looking to sing more Czech music. Um, And he taught us a class about pronouncing things in Czech or Czech diction, so I can look at things and pronounce them properly, but I don't yet know what they mean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we were just talking about, you know, the, the sort of history of the the borders of what we now know as Czech, yeah? Um, when did Czech opera start differentiating itself from other you know, nationalities. I think like nearby, we've got Germany, Italy, a little to the south, we've got Italian operas. But Czechia is very landlocked. Um, Can you help us differentiate it from other operas?
1: Absolutely. During the mid 1800s, around 1840, 1850, there was kind of a cultural revolution in the Czech Republic. This was a time where after being Um, invaded and run by so many different people, the Czech group within this Bohemia-Moravia region decided that they wanted to stand for themselves, they wanted to have their own things and their own culture, basically. So you see a lot of literature coming from this time period that is written in the Czech language, because language is something that was very important for their nationality, especially as they were, you know, part of these other empires. What they held on to was their language and their stories. So during this time, we have a lot of big developments through intellectual things like linguistics, poetry, art, and of course, opera. The biggest composers during this time are Smetana, Dvorak, Fibich and Janacek. Janacek's a little bit later, but those are the main ones. And basically during this time, these composers sat down and said, well, German opera is all good and well, and we like that, but we are perfectly equipped to make our own opera and not add more to the Germanic culture and instead build on our own culture.
0: Right. So this is Finding a sort of identity of themselves, and so so, what are some of those things that um, were very Czech, that were not Germanic? What what were some of those things?
1: That's a great question, and exactly the question that these composers had to ask themselves as they were trying to write these operas, because it was okay, we're going to write Czech opera, but what does that mean? And that's kind of like going and asking someone in America, what is American food? The answer you'll probably get is, um, hamburgers, apple pie. pie. It's these things that we all had to decide were American and we've all agreed on. But as you go into different regions, you're going to find influences from other things. You've got Chicago is famous for their deep dish pizza, but we wouldn't have pizza if it weren't for Italy. You're in Rochester, I believe. They're really popular with their garbage plates. I'm in the Pacific Northwest. We're really popular for eating salmon. So Mm. it's kind of a difficult thing. How do we... Can we say salmon is an American food then? Because it's really popular and definitely a symbol where I am, but it's not where you are. I've never had a garbage plate. So can that be American food? And we kind of just had to define, well... Hamburgers are very American. We eat hamburgers, hot dogs, apple pie on these American holidays. Fourth of July,
0: Memorial Day. Exactly. Barbecues, right. So These
1: other cultural events had to add to this cultural definition. And that's the same thing that these Czech composers faced was going, what is important to our culture? What will people hear and go, that makes me feel like a Czech person? So the big reason they had to explore that was there was a composition competition hosted by a man named Count Harach. And one of the stipulations within the contest rules were that it had, the, the winning composition had to sound quote unquote Czech. And he kind of nudged people towards looking at folk songs as a way to define their Czechness in their compositions.
0: And what is that? What is folk songs? What do you mean by that?
1: So folk songs in general are just the music of a people. It's what you would hear and go, oh, yeah, that that's a song we all learned as a kid. So in, uh, in America, we think about like, oh, Susanna, as an example of an American folk song. But in the Czech Republic, there are a lot of shepherds. There are a lot of... Fields and really kind of country folk, if you will, but not country like country Western music. Um, So most of these folk songs come from either dance tunes or pastoral songs that tell about sheep, shepherds being in the mountains and then going home to your cottage with your family.
0: What does the language of Czech sound like? Did, did the composers that were writing these Czech operas think about the language that they were writing for? Or were they writing it in, um, like they were using Czech, mus- Czech music based off of Czech folk songs, but they're setting it to sort of German words?
1: That was a really great description that you just gave, actually, because you'll find (laughs) that as I was talking about those pastoral tunes, for example, there's an aria that Smetana puts in his opera, Ubička, which means the kiss, and the tune is directly taken from a Czech folk song. So he was definitely thinking about, you know, how can I use these tunes that everybody knows? But another problem that you'll find, especially in Smetana's music, his earlier stuff, because he was a little bit earlier than Dvorak, is he sometimes writes with more of a Germanic stress than you would find in the actual Czech language. I'm going to dive in just for a minute and talk about some of this Czech now, what diction. Does that mean? So, the Czech alphabet is basically the same as we use in English, but they have some accents that we don't use that can add length without adding stress. Because in Czech, the stress is always on the first syllable. So my name in English is Melinda, and in Czech it would be Malinda. You have to make sure that the Ma is more stressed than the other syllables. So that's why I was rambling earlier about it being Rusalka not rusalka, because that stress is on Mm. that first syllable. And because of the way that that works in the Czech language, sometimes you'll find that in Smetana's music, he's put important syllables on beats that are stressed, that wouldn't actually... He, He basically puts important syllables on unstressed beats. And so sometimes when you're singing it, you have to adjust and not quite sing exactly what's written on the page. You have to add a little bit of self-expression and a little bit of rhythmic wiggle room, if you will, to make sure that you're stressing the language in the way that it's written or the way that it's actually spoken.
0: So is it like, so is it like, um, let's, I'm going to use the word rusalka. And if, if I'm singing it in maybe four, four time, would would the stress be on the downbeat, on beat one? Would it be like that?
1: Yeah, so that's, that's the simplest way to put the stressed syllable. <laughs> that's the best explanation of how to put the stress syllable on an important beat would be put it on the downbeat. A very popular aria of Smetana's is from The Bartered Bride. And in the, the recit, which is basically the dialogue portion of the aria before she sings about all of her feelings... There's just some moments where the rhythm would be written as basically ta, 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 and you have to go ta, 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 or ta, 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 to make sure that you're putting a little more emphasis on that beginning of the word.
0: And and you just kind of got to know that it's not written out that way with like these these dotted quarter notes or eighth notes or whatever. You just kind of have to know to add that stress?
1: That's basically what Dr. Cheek told me when I coached it with him, is he said, this is not something that you're going to see written in the music, and that's perhaps part of the reason that that opera in particular is often performed in German or English. So it's kind of, okay, do we print new editions where we slightly change the rhythm just for Czech, or do we just let people sing it like they would speak it?
0: I would argue that those those Czech composers that were having this national identity crisis they would be like why are we doing this is the very thing we did not want to do
1: exactly it's very interesting to see this kind of identity crisis within the operas that they're writing because sometimes smetana hits you over the head with this is czech music see i took this tune this lullaby that everybody knows and i put it directly into the opera and then sometimes there's lots of Germanic influences, or they lean a lot on polka music, which could arguably belong to a lot of cultures within that area geographically.
0: And and just earlier, like at the at the beginning of this, we w- we were discussing about you know is it is it Czech is it Czech Republic Czechoslovakia? So like even that has this sort of like full circle ness of. I don't want to call it an identity crisis because that implies that there wasn't political influences or ex like other people trying to like have their say on what, you know, the Czech country and culture should be. So that makes perfect sense that, you know, it's, it's it's such a shame to hear that, you know, publishing companies are wanting to, you know, perform it in or print it in German or or English um, when like, you know, should, should we be faithful to the language that the music is set Absolutely. in? Absolutely.
1: And I mean, I think the Czech language is so beautiful. There are a lot of consonants which can scare people. And they have this sound that you've probably heard me make a couple times that we don't use in English. That's rsh or rsh, which is kind of like a...
0: Sounds like a yeah, rolled R. Yeah, it's a rolled
1: R with a little sh or zh mixed in there. And so that's in Dvorak's name. And I think that scares a lot of people. So originally, especially in America, people decided, oh, let's just we want to do these operas because the music's pretty. But it's too much work to learn how to say these weird words that we don't use. So let's just do it in English.
0: Classic American. Classic
1: American. And it's frustrating (laughs) because the meaning is not the same. When you listen to the English productions of The Bartered Bride um the aria i was talking about earlier is essentially the main character asking why has everything gone wrong why is my boyfriend not in love with me why do i feel so betrayed but the english translation is like oh it would be so nice if he and i had a beautiful green garden and a house together and it's like that's not what she's saying (laughs) <laughs> That's not the meaning at all. You you made words that yeah. fit the, the syllables and the notes that you were given but you totally butchered what Smetana and what the story is.
0: I'm sure we can talk on a whole nother podcast episode about um translations and setting um different text to different music. Um but but for today we'll we'll just s- stay on stay on czech opera um i i, I just want to add what what sort of scares me um when i see something written out in in czech that language um are the accents um like these um diacritical marks that i'm like i don't i don't know but you know all all you have to do is just like see it and hear it with it once to like sort of get a hang of it like for I I would think czech would be like czar, but once somebody says it's a ch sound, cz is ch, it's Czech. And I'm like, oh, okay, and now I have no problem seeing czech and saying Czech.
1: Exactly, and that was very much my experience with learning the Czech diction from Doctor Cheek. Is at first you look and there's all these accents and these symbols. And it's like, oh my gosh, how am I going to keep this straight, especially when I'm a native English speaker and I know that we have so many weird rules about English diction that just don't make sense. Like the word cough and it's spelled C-O-U-G-H, but it's pronounced cough and that just doesn't make sense. So I was very afraid that Czech was going to have a lot of those rules, but the language is actually incredibly phonetic. Pretty much what you see is what you get. And when you learn what those diacritical marks mean, then it's, oh, I can just look at this and figure it out. I was coaching with Dr. Cheek one day and I had carefully written in my pronunciations from the International Phonetic Alphabet and underlined the stresses. And he looked at my music and he said, oh, you don't need that. You know, how I taught you how to pronounce it. You can just look at the words and say them correctly. And I was like, really? There's no weird, is this vowel open? Do I soften this whatever? He's like, no, you know, the diacritical marks and everything tell you exactly what you need to do. You just have to learn those rules. But I only had a class with him for a couple of hours. And now I can pronounce things in Czech fairly well on my own.
0: I I have a hashtag for you. Give Czech a chance.
1: (sighs) I love it.
0: Because it sounds like people aren't giving... Check a chance in terms of like writing their own operas or performing it in the czechian language
1: i, I love it i'm gonna use that
0: and it also has that fun "cha" and "cha."
1: yes i love it forever <laughs> when when i was there we would have mexican food once in a while and i called it czechsmex so i am <laughs> all for the puns
0: <laughs> so we started with sort of talking about the language and and um the music of czech um, and sort of this general history. Um what what else in Czech opera um is specifically or uniquely Czechian? Um like are there specific Czechian themes that sort of like happen in all of their operas? Does does somebody die at the end? Or What happens in Czech operas?
1: What I've found, and this is purely from my own observations and studies into popular and lesser known Czech operas, is there is an element that I am defining as whimsy in a lot of them. And you're probably like, what the heck do you mean? Um, Whimsy, I... Like fun? Whimsy? <laughs> I it's not, I don't think of it as like a circus, you know, whimsy with lots of fun lights, but it's more more akin to the idea of magic realism that we have in literature, where the stories may be true, but there are elements of the supernatural or of fairy tales that are woven in so deeply to these stories. And I think... As I was studying it, I believe that part of the reason that you find this in so many Czech operas is because of that, as we were calling it, but we admitted that it's probably not the best definition, would be the identity crisis of the Czech people. They had so many other people infiltrating their culture and trying to define them that they had to find subtle ways, whether it's through satire or other means, to basically make a statement on the world around them. So you'll just find things like in The Bartered Bride, the... uh, What should we call him? The competitive suitor to the main woman ends up dressed as a bear for the entire second half of the opera. And it's woven into the rest of the story that is actually a pretty normal story. These two people fall in love, their parents try to get in the way, then it goes through a bunch of sitcom tropes, dressing up as other people, running around and this guy ends up dressing up as a bear for the entire second half of the opera, but it's it's in those ways that you see just little things even into the serious operas that are not necessarily to make them humorous, but more to make them to make the audience think about the message And to kind of pull you away from the story and into the bigger picture. For example, um, Martiniu has a really popular opera called Julieta. Wherein this man dreams of a woman. And he falls in love with her. And he travels to the dream world to be with her. And then he has to come to grips with, does he want to stay in the dream world? Or does he want to go back into society? So it's a very kind of slap in the face to make you think about is the dream world better than where we're living right now
0: yeah and i i think i i i am getting the sense of what you mean by by whimsy um i mean like in in shakespeare and in um some italian operas and and some other operas um there's a lot of disguise like oh we're gonna fool this person we'll dress up like the other gender or the other sex and this is like i'm gonna dress up like a bear mm-hmm. And like and and is um is Rusalka the one with the mermaid in it?
1: Yeah, Rusalka is that, is, is that right very similar to the original Hans Christian Andersen telling of The Little Mermaid. So Rusalka is a water nymph, and in that opera, she wants to fall in love with this prince, and she sings to the moon and asks a witch named Yeji Baba to help her find a boyfriend she ends up dating this prince and he is actually trash in my opinion and does not respect <laughs> her and ends up getting together with this other foreign princess instead and Rusalka ends up cursed in trying to save him
0: so yeah I'm, I'm getting these these very fantastical characters that are you don't normally see in like um, we're sort of we're sort of using you know, like a bear or a mermaid or um, Mm a water nymph, you said, um, as um, these metaphors for humans.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's just a lot of elements within these operas that are, it's not like the Mozart stories of we're going to go into this house and we're going to see the count and how he interacts with the countess. It's more, we're going to look at how, the world is, but also a question of how the world could be. What if it were totally normal for somebody to dress up like a bear or in The Cunning Little Vixen, which is a very popular Janacek opera that is definitely talking about, you know, society and people's roles within society, but every character in that is an animal. It's talking about a fox.
0: Yeah, Vixen Mm -hmm. is a fox. So there again, you have like this animal creature non-human that's sort of central to Mm -hmm. the opera would you would you say um it's sounding to me that these czech operas are are a little more deep or you know maybe have hidden encoded messages that like on the surface it could be like oh a fun a fun night out um but like if if you if you take the time to sort of um take the meaning to heart. Um, do you think there there are morals at the end of Czechian operas? Like, is, is that how Czech operas end with like a, if you are this water nymph or if you are this bear, then you are this kind of a person in real life. I don't life. think
1: that they have necessarily the fairy tale ending of, and you see, if you're a bad guy like this villain, then this is what happens to you. I think... One of the reasons I'm drawn to them, probably, is you can watch the opera and enjoy it without having to go into these, oh, how were they criticizing society at the time? But also, if you want to look at them in context of what was happening in the world, you can understand where the composers were coming from when they decided to tell these stories.
0: So what are what are some common Czech operas that are being performed today, both in um, America... Um, or in Europe. And actually, I want to ask you, what do you think is a good gateway Czech opera? Like, if if I'm going to see my first Czech opera, which one should I sit down and watch?
1: Well, the easiest to find is going to be Rusalka. It's done very commonly. It became very, very popular in the United States after Renee Fleming did her first Met performance of the role. Um, That actually really sparked this kind of Czech revolution in American opera of people going, oh, wait, we can sing these things in Czech and it's cool and it's fun. So I really love Rusalka. It's a beautiful story. It's not too long if you're worried about operas being too long. It's a story that's easy to follow and the characters are very fun and inviting. I mean, you have these animals on stage and you also have you know, witches and princesses. So it, it feels very much like a children's fairy tale in that way, even though the ending may not be the fairy tale that we all learned when we watched the Disney production of The Little Mermaid. I My personal favorite, though, for starting, if you're just getting into Czech opera, is The Bartered Bride, because I think it's really funny. I think the characters are really relatable, whereas if... I mean, if you're somebody who's very into the fantasy world, start with Rusalka by all means. But if you're not, (laughs) and you want to go and see an opera with people who might be more like you, then definitely start with The Bartered Bride, because it's the story of two people who fall in love, and their failure to communicate, as it is with so many of us, causes them (laughs) problems, but they end up with a happy ending, so it's very lighthearted, and... I really enjoy seeing the characters grow throughout the course of the opera.
0: Would you categorize um, Czech operas to be dramatic or comic, comedic in nature or sort of in between I don't think you
1: can classify all Czech operas as either one or the other because there are definitely comedic operas and dramatic operas within the language.
0: Cool. So what about um, in... Uh, Eastern Europe or Central Europe? What kind of Czech operas are they doing there? Are they performing it in Czech, or are they, you know, is, is Germany sort of saying no? Let's 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 translate it and do it in. You'll German. see
1: a lot of you'll see a lot more Czech written operas performed over there than you'll see in the United States, but there are a lot of translations into German. It's very easy to find recordings of Czech operas in German. It's less easy to find recordings of Czech opera in Czech.
0: So how would I go about finding a Czech opera that's performed in Czech? Like, what are, what are some um, sort of clues that won't lead me astray to listening to a German
1: A lot of times, recording? luckily, they will put in parentheses, performed in Czech or, or performed in German, performed in English, right on the album cover so you'll know from the start but also you can look at if they've listed the title in czech in german or in english with czech parentheses or vice versa for example the bartered bride usually we call that the bartered bride but if you see "Prodaná then that is probably going to be in czech because rarely ever do we refer to that opera by its Czech name. If you see, oh, the die verkaufte Braut or something like that, if it says Braut, you're gonna be getting German and it is probably <laughs> not going to be in Czech because they would never write the Czech title or the German title and then sing it in Czech.
0: Ah. Uh, okay. So Melinda, what are some of your favorite recordings of Czech operas? Because I, I know I don't know anything about Czech operas and I After talking with you, I'm definitely going to listen to some more. I've never seen Rusalka, but I've seen that title all around. So I'm going to watch that and listen to that. Um, what, what should some of our listeners, you know, sort of be picking out of the CD piles or Absolutely. clicking on Spotify? So
1: the Renee Fleming Rusalka is culturally very important because of what it did for Czech opera, having this renaissance in America. I will admit, though... And don't come for me with this. I, Renee Fleming's recording of Song to the Moon is not my most favorite. But to watch that opera as a whole with her in that role is very satisfying and very fulfilling, especially with Dolora Zajick as Yeji Baba. So you're going to want to look for the Met recording with Renee Fleming and Dolora Zajick. Zajick is spelled Z A J, I C K. Because the chemistry that they have as this young water nymph and this crazy old witch is amazing. They work so well together and Dolores Zaczek's singing is the best Yezhi Baba I think I've ever heard. Also, if you're just looking for a really good song to the moon to kind of hear a contrasting version, because Renee Fleming's is beautiful, don't get me wrong, I'm just picky. Um, Jana Valashkova has a great recording of Song to the Moon. Her Czech is really nice and very clean. And it's also just a very different take from Renee Fleming. She clearly is inflecting some different emotions. So those are very different recordings of the same opera that I definitely recommend listening to. Anything that Lucia Pop does in Czech is a treasure. She's Slovakian, so Slovakia is different than Czechia but they do have a lot of overlap within their history and a lot of similarities within their pronunciation.
0: Yeah. They just, um, they just split um, in like 1993 after the fall of the Soviet union, right. It became from Czechoslovakia became the Czech Republic and Slovakia as two separate nations. Right. So like even that recently, there's exactly. So even when
1: Dvorak and Smetana were writing these things, they were kind of still grouped in the same area. So I love... Everything she does. Okay.
0: And Sorry, very quickly, what year are we talking about when we're talking about Dvorak mm-hmm. and Smetana? So Dvorak
1: and Smetana were both in around 1850 to the beginning of the 1900s. That's when they lived. Uh, Smetana's most popular compositions were around 1850s ish. Let's put a little asterisk there. And then Dvorak went closer to the new century with his compositions.
0: Okay. All right. So we were just talking about Lucia Pop and Mm -hmm. how she's Slovakian.
1: So her recordings are all fantastic. I really love her recording of The Bartered Bride or any, there are a couple recordings of her singing The Bartered Bride and the aria that I keep mentioning where you have to do that little bit of rhythmic flubbing to make it sound actually Czech. She does that, so if you want to listen for it, you can listen to her recording of The Bartered Bride. There's an amazing recording of The Cunning Little Vixen with the Vienna Philharmonic that also has lucha pop. And it's really great. She embodies the fox so well. It's a joy to listen to. Then if we're going to move into less lesser-known Czech operas, Jakobin. By Dvorak. I sang the scene from it. It's very Czech history based. It's based on um, stories from Czech history and there's a lot of elements of Czech nationalism. So if you're looking for, okay, Dvorak sat down and wanted to make something Czech. This is probably the best example of him trying to go, this (laughs) is Czech opera. The beginning scene is basically 10 minutes where you hear the chorus come in and they sing. And then the main male character comes in and says, oh, would you listen to that Czech singing? That really makes me happy. And then his wife goes, yeah, sure is great to be in the Czech Republic. (laughs) And that's their whole opening scene and then you know they give the backstory but it's all based around mm, check yeah that's nice <laughs> i love that oh, and i recently discovered the devil yeah. and kate which is super fun you get to have a mezzo soprano as the heroine rather than a soprano which we see in most of these other operas i've mentioned and it's a very cool almost orpheus and eurydice story There's a super fun dance in the second act that is very polka inspired, where you hear these characters trying to rescue each other from hell. And the dance is honestly super fun. And I've been using it as my getting ready in the morning music. (laughs) Put a sick beat under it and I would totally go to the club and listen to that. (laughs) So that's a really unique and very cool opera. And if you're looking for a great recording of that, there's one with Michelle Breet, spelled B-R-E-E-D-T, singing the role of Kate, and that's a really excellent recording to get to know that opera better.
0: Are there Czech operas still being written right now? I mean, it it sounds like all of the all of the ones you've mentioned so far happened in the sort of time period of the 1850s to turn of the century, and you know the composers of that time wanted to create this very Czechian opera and have pride in their culture, but then we 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 go into the 20th century and go through all these political um, and national identity crises that um, the people of Czechia had gone through. Has the continuation of operas being written and composed continued on into the 20th century or 21st? Are there contemporary There definitely Um, are contemporary
1: Czech operas still being written today. I'm less familiar with some of those, but I do know um, of the Czech National Opera performing some of those. And the idea of Czech composers using opera to express themselves has not stopped. I wouldn't say that it ever reached a point where they said, well, now we created Czech opera and that's that. Let's be done. There's a tragic but also very touching story of a camp, a a death camp in World War II where a bunch of children were. And a composer there wrote the opera Brundibar, which again has whimsy. There's a lot of animals who are involved in the story and it's kind of a Hansel and Gretel getting back at the bad guy story where clearly the villain is meant to typify Adolf Hitler. But they used this opera and had these, it was written for children. The children performed it and it was their way of being able to express themselves in these very terrible circumstances. And luckily Czech opera didn't end there either. It's still continuing today. I mean, the within the city of Prague, there are a lot of opera houses. There's two main ones. You have the estates theater where Don Giovanni, um, first premiered when Mozart wrote it. And then about, I'd say, two miles away is the National Theater. So you can walk from one opera house to the other and see an opera at both. And they're very historic, but also they're very rooted in Czech culture. So they're the biggest champions of performing these contemporary Czech works that are being composed today.
0: So, Melinda, this podcast is... You know, we're talking about what is opera anyway. All of our listeners out there, you know, may know a little bit about opera, want to learn more, or like like that. That's me. I know a little bit, but I want to learn more. Some don't know anything about opera, but they're interested. Um, What what exactly is Czech opera? How how would you define Czech opera? Opera in
1: itself is a really important way to tell stories. It's a way for the composers, the singers, the orchestral musicians to express themselves. And Czech opera was a way of taking the things that were happening in the world around them. And these composers took the context of their lives, and they figured out how to define stories that mattered to their community and a way to represent themselves that hadn't existed before that. It was, how can we represent our entire culture within the context of opera? What stories are important to us?
0: That was beautifully said. That was Melinda Wagstaff, who's quite passionate about Czech operas. Melinda is an opera singer living in Washington State, and she's also a teaching artist for What Is Opera Anyway? You can also hear my conversation with her from earlier in the season in our episode called Who Are Puccini's Heroines Anyway?, you can find Melinda on Instagram at w-a-g-g-y soprano. That's waggy soprano. And if you listen to a recording of any of the Czech operas we mentioned in today's episode, or any other Czech opera for that matter, use the hashtag give Czech a chance. Thank you for listening and learning with me on What is Opera Anyway, the podcast. What is Opera Anyway is a 501c3 nonprofit organization designed to bring a comprehensive opera education program directly to you, to your computer screen, to your headphones, and to the classroom. Through diverse programming, participants will learn many ways to answer the question, what is opera anyway? Our podcast is supported in part by a grant from the Andover Cultural Council, a local agency, which is supported by the Mass Cultural Council, a state agency. To support WIOA or to learn more about our other programs, you can check out our website at whatisoperaanyway.org. You can sponsor a student lesson or an episode of this podcast, but we welcome donations of any size. And of course, because we're a nonprofit, all your donations are tax deductible. You can also help us by spreading the word about our organization and what we do. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. And check out our website for some merchandise that we have on sale. If you'd like to be a guest on our podcast, or if you have a question about opera, you can contact us and tune in every other Wednesday, or better yet, follow or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming platform so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, you can leave us a rating and a review. The composer of our overture is Reagan Castile. You can hear more of her work at ReaganCastile.com. Our podcast logo was designed by Francesca Leonetta and Hannah Stokes. Our social media guru is Vina Akamamakia. Our producers, technical directors, and editors are Jeremy Lopez and Noah Sesling. And our executive producer is Francesca Leonetta. I'm Josh Lau. Thank you for listening. I've got so much more to learn about opera, and maybe you do too, because what is opera
1: anyway?